0: Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Rolling Hills. We're in the middle of a series called Masterclass. You don't have to be overwhelmed by that. We're studying the book of Romans all summer, and we've made our way this week to Romans chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles and you want to f- scroll there or open it up there, that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. I sound like this because not only the middle school and high school kids got to go to camp this week, but Pastor Nick got to go to camp this week and had a fantastic time. There was this one song. We said a minute ago, we're going to do this new song that the kids did at camp. I was like, oh, maybe it's that one song that was, why can't I praise him as loud as I want? And it had like a rap song in the middle of it and a light show. I thought, are we about to do that up in here? I don't even know. But I only have one volume. Like when I'm sitting over there singing on this, like I only have one volume when I sing. I really only have one volume when I talk. It's loud. And so sometimes it gets a little bit like this. And I'm so excited this morning about this particular text because I couldn't wait even when we started in Romans chapter 1 and I was kicking it off with Romans chapter 16 I'll get there in a minute too I was so excited about getting to this this next three week series of Romans 9 Romans 10 and Romans 11 because it has a lot to say to us about people that are not even here today Um, I don't think, maybe we need to get to know each other a little bit better if this is your story, but I don't think that we have anybody that's ethnically Jewish today. But there's a lot in these next couple of passages that are about you and and to you, if that is you, but still something that any one of us can glean. And I don't think we planned this out. Maybe somebody else did, and I just wasn't privy to that conversation. But there's no better text in Romans chapter 9 for us to land on on Father's Day than this one. Like Mother's Day, there was literally, I was... let me figure out how in the world we're going to connect these dots. But today, it's a pretty easy onboard. I'll start with Luke chapter 15 because that's my favorite father story in, in all of Scripture. It's the story of the prodigal son. And I love that Jesus is looking at his audience, and you don't have to go there, you're gonna square out in Romans chapter nine because that's where we'll spend the bulk of our text, but maybe you know these stories of parables that Jesus gave. Like he talked about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and lost one of them. Like the 99 were exactly where they were supposed to be, but one went away. He painted a picture of what a really good shepherd would do in that moment by leaving the 99 and going and finding the one that was lost. And not only was he painting a picture of what, Any good shepherd would have done in that moment He was telling the people of Israel And the people who were listening Something good about God And then he paints a picture of a woman Who lost a whole lot of money And she had this bulk amount of money And lost even another amount And so what did she do? She stopped everything that she was doing And went and looked for that money And when she found it Scripture is so cool Happened for the shepherd It happened for the lady When they found the thing that was lost The sheep and the money They went and told all their friends and neighbors, and there was a great celebration. So Jesus is painting a picture of not only what you and I would do if we found the money that we lost. Man, I saw some kids lose some things this week. You have no idea. I'll take a picture and post it when I see the lost and found from camp. It's going to be massive. There's gonna be some moms and dads up there digging through like wet clothes and soggy towels and but like just to try to find their kid's Bible. Like there's gonna be some things that are lost this week, and there's gonna be some celebration and some sighs of relief for some middle school boys in particular when they finally get the thing that they weren't supposed to lose that they took to camp. There's a celebration, and Jesus is painting a picture of what it happens when the thing that's lost is found. And then the largest story that he tells in Luke chapter 15 is that of a son, a younger son who goes to his dad, who knows the story, and says, hey, I kind of wish that you would hurry up and die. Can you go ahead and give me my inheritance now? I don't, don't want to wait on it any longer. You didn't know that the conversation boiled down to something that rebellious and that heinous. And so the story of the prodigal, this idea of lavish living, is that the son goes away and squanders everything that he has. He loses it all, longs to eat what pigs have left over, and finally comes to his senses and says, Wow, I'm going to go back to my dad. And I'm going to tell him that I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm really not even worthy to be one of your... Uh, look, just let me be like one of your servants. And Scripture says for us, it's in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, So the son got up and he went to his father but while he was still a long way off. We read Romans 5, 8. It was one of our memory verses this summer. God loved us in that while we were still sinners, while we were a really far away off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. God, we know that this is painting God a beautiful picture of the way that you respond to each of us. And it's also painting a picture of of hope for any parent who's ever endured something even remotely like this with a kid that's not close anymore. Father, I pray that you in your wisdom and in your will and in a way that only you can can speak to us today in both of those places. We love you, Jesus. It's, it's you that's worthy. It's you that we praise. You're the reason why we're here. And we ask that you would meet with us today. Amen. A fellow named Charles Spurgeon, arguably one of the greatest theologians and, and, and preachers of his time, says this, get love for the souls of men. Like of mankind, like get love. Then you'll not be whining about Now, this feels real sad, and I just, I mean, like, Charles, I feel like you went a little bit too far with this one, but then he says, he says this, his words, not mine, then you're not going to be whining about a dead dog, a sick cat, or about the um, crochets of a family and the little disturbances that John and Mary may make by their idle talk. You'll just not be worried about anything that doesn't matter. You will be delivered from petty worries. I need not further describe them if you are concerned about the souls of men. He says this, Get your soul full of a great grief, and then your little griefs will be driven out. There's a difference between anguish and aggravation. It's in your notes this morning if you're a person that likes to jot things down so that you don't fall asleep or forget some of the things that you might find important today. There's a big difference between anguish and aggravation, and I can I can get a mental picture of what was going through that father's mind, because if one of my kids came up and said that to me, one, I would laugh because inheritance? What even is that? <laughs> Sorry. <Ooh. laughs> be careful what you ask for, <laughs> but then also like I would be far more aggravated than I would be grieved. Man, can you imagine just the back talk and the sass and how frustrated any of us in our human nature as parents would have been? If you're in Romans chapter 9, you've had plenty of time to get there. It says this in verse 1. Paul's talking, I speak the truth in Christ. Good thing because we don't want to read a book of lies. He says, I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. He's like, you could see it on my face. Like, there's no poker face here. I'm giving you all of my anguish and all of my frustration. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Some Bible translations read unceasing grief. And I want to pause here because I think that people have that over their kids sometimes. This, this great sorrow and this unceasing grief or anguish in our hearts. Whenever we're aggravated, that leads us to anger and abandonment. And Sometimes we've been angry with our kids, and sometimes we just want to cancel and walk away and not even deal with that mess anymore. But anguish, it leads us to compassion, and it leads us to action. We concluded Romans 8 last week with this glorious high note of a verse saying that nothing, height, depth, any of the things can ever separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. If that's the last words of verse of chapter eight, then why in the world is Paul so full of anguish in chapter nine? Because when he realizes how great the love of God is, and yet there are still people who have moved themselves into a position to be super, super far from it, how can we anything else? but the weight and the grief of that. When we've tasted like scripture tells us just how good God is and we have this urgency inside of our hearts to give that to other people so that they can taste and see how good God is and systematically and categorically when they reject that over time it's a burden for us to go why don't you know how good this is? Why on earth would you ever want to walk away from this? Our dad's house is real good. We should never leave it. There's a burden. And there can be a frustration, and you see it all the time, and you, you read it all the time because you're on the Facebook like me. Like there's a group of Christians out there, and I think it's a, just a very loud minority. We're getting loud up in here again. It's probably not any of you guys. Who are just so angry at sin in the world. That we can't do anything but attack it. It's not my job to attack sinners. It's my job to love sinners. And, and they're not, they're not gonna they're not gonna come to the table, they're not gonna be invited into the home because I'm blasting how bad they all are. That verse isn't in Luke 15. The father never chases the son down. He never gets in his face. He never wags his fingers. I apologize for the moments that I've done this, girls. Like, he doesn't do that. He doesn't raise his voice and go bananas and tell him, well, find them." I mean, like, there's no, there's no argument in the verses. He just goes home and he waits for the son to come home. And when he sees him, he doesn't look at him and be like, yep, you lost it all. I cannot wait to, like, I told you so. Oh isn't it fun to say those words? Oh, don't you feel good when you get to say, I do. Like, hashtag confession. I love when I've told you so. Like, doesn't that feel good? Luke 15, the dad didn't say that. He ran to his son while he was still a really far way away. He had compassion for him. He threw his arms around him, and he, he kissed him. There's a difference between anguish and aggravation. Aggravation always starts the argument, but anguish that's when we hug. That's when we kiss. That's when we're full of compassion. And Paul tells us the reason for his anguish in these moments. If you go to verse 3, he says, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people. His burden is for Israel. His burden is for people who should have known but didn't know. His burden is for the son that said, please give me all of my inheritance. I'm going to go live my life any way that I want to live it. His burden is for anybody that's not at home with the father who doesn't get to experience the joy that comes from being with him. This great sorrow, this unceasing grief, what's literally consuming grief for, for lostness of people. And he would go so far to wish harm on himself just so that they could come to faith. Happy Father's Day. And I'll just throw in moms too. Because it is the role so often like we experience it, the hurt and the anguish and the pain of a parent like we would. We would wish ill on ourselves just for our kids to be Okay. We would literally die for them. This passage has quite a bit to say about what we do about lost or wandering kids, how deep not just for your own children but for anybody that's far away that hasn't crested the top of the hill yet looking like they're coming back how are we praying for how are we longing for how deep is our love for the lost and how far are we willing to go paul also wrote in first corinthians chapter 9 verse 22 to the weak he became weak he said to the strong he became like i have become all things all things i would do anything To all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. Like his whole passion and his whole desire, based on the anguish that's in his heart in Romans chapter 9, for people to come to faith in Christ. In 1 Corinthians, he's talking about the Gentiles. In Romans 9, he's talking about the Jews, literally everybody. His desire is for them to come to know Jesus. I don't know that we feel that way. Like, I don't know how big our passion is for that. We're entering a multi-chapter arc that's about Israel. I reminded you at the beginning of the series and a couple other times since then that this, this book, Paul has not visited Rome yet. He writes this letter to Roman Christians and Roman Christians at this point and all of these house churches are composed of both Jews and Gentiles who aren't really getting along at this point. Like they agree on their confession of faith in Jesus but not on the route that they took getting there and he sends this letter to The church is in Rome through a, a deacon by the name of Phoebe, and it's not an accident that it's a female, and it's not an accident that in all of these house church moments when she's delivering what would have been a handwritten letter at this moment, can you imagine how bad the handwriting would have been as you get to Romans chapter 15? Like, I start off strong, it's neat but the more I write, the sloppier it gets. I can't imagine what this must have looked like. And she's got this copy of scripture, maybe one or two that's been copied down, and she's taking a letter from church to church. And that's the voice, and that's the face that they hear and see reading these words from the Apostle Paul. And they couldn't wait to see what it was that he was going to say next. And there are moments in this passage of scripture, in the book of Romans, where he's talking about the Gentiles. There's moments when he's talking to the Gentiles. There's moments when he's talking about the Jews. Now there's moments that he's talking to the Jews, and we're switching into that moment. We've seen moment after moment after moment where this entire book is all about the theology of salvation and how a person experiences God. If you're somebody who only likes neat, concise, simple answers to really tough, hard questions, I just want to warn you that the next three Sundays are going to be real hard for you. <laughs> there are different schools of very wise theology that have come from Romans chapter 9 through 11. And it's to these spaces that we get to go with our, our questions in hand, and we get to say things like, how God? And we get to say things like, why God? And we have to be okay with the very appropriate answer, because I said so. Whoa. As a young kid, I remember being so frustrated every time I heard that sentence come out of either one of my parents' mouths, but particularly my father, because he had a way of saying it that just made me want to go, and I remember saying to myself at some point, I will never say that to my children. I say that all the time. Like, and I enjoy saying it. Like, I told you so, And because I said so, two sides of the same coin, like I love it. And I believe that scripture affirms it. Because right or wrong, I'm the authority that God has placed over at least three precious children. Only three precious children, that's weird. Like three precious children, I'm the dad. And so because I said so is so often all they need. What's the difference between 14-year-old Nick Allen being so mad every time I heard that word and 30-something, 40-something-year-old Nick Allen be so excited every time I get to say that word? Maturity. And so think about that this week and next week and the week after that. When God looks at us and says to us, because I said so, do you still feel inside you? Oh, I hate that answer. Or you just simmer down and be like, it's okay, God, you can say whatever. The difference between those two responses, I don't want to look at anybody now when I say it. (laughs) Maturity. It's okay if God wants to look at us and say, because I said so, that's the answer that we're going to get, particularly about Israel in the next three weeks. When you think about Israel in this moment, a, a people through whom the Messiah was gifted to us, we have to know this. We all need reminding, not just Israel, but all of us. We all need reminding. It is not about works. It is so easy to get sidetracked by any number of biblical issues, theological questions, or even secondary and tertiary doctrines as evidenced by the thousands and thousands of conflicts that we've had since the Protestant Reformation and the rise of denominationalism. Like, we are always arguing and fighting about something, but one thing that every single epistle, every single one of Paul's letters, every single one of Peter's letters, every single one of John's letters, and also the letter that we're not exactly sure, who wrote it, but we think it's Paul. It's okay. All of the New Testament epistles deal very squarely with the idea of works based salvation and the fact that it does not exist there's nothing that you and I could ever do to earn the love and grace of God which means there's nothing ever possible for us to do that could damage or eliminate the grace of God it's all about soteriology that's the theology of salvation and these question marks that are asked all throughout the book of Romans particularly in these chapters about the Jews are all about who has access to it and how in the world is it applied Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, that it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that nobody can boast. It's about faith. We read it in Romans as well. Romans three twenty. therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Like, there's nothing that we can do. There's no rules that we can follow. And if you go back to the prodigal son, it wasn't just the younger brother who was really, really mad and took his money and left. It was the older brother who had followed every single letter of the rules of the father's household and was so angry that the son who left might be welcomed back. There's some rule followers among us in the life of the church who think that their ability to follow the rules has somehow earned them a better place at the table than those of us who are wayward. People who don't realize that they too are wayward. It's not, not that anyone would be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. We all need to be reminded, apparently, simply by the volume of the number of times that it's mentioned in the New Testament, we apparently need a lot of reminding. We also need to be reminded about this. It's all about God's work. It's all about the thing that he did, not about the thing that... We we literally don't bring anything to the table. Realistically, it's all about what he has done. If you go to verse 6, it says, "...it is not as though God's word had failed." There's an applicable sidestep for us today, (laughs) something that we can come on over here to. There's, There's never a moment when God's word has failed. Putting yourself in his shoes, do you think that it would have been really hard for the Father in Luke chapter 15 to not feel like it was his fault? I think I would have gone there. Being rejected by a rebellious kid, I know that that's someone's story here. I know that it might be a lot of stories here. Like you take your kid to church. They went to the VBS. You bought them the Christian t-shirt. They, they came on Sunday mornings. You prayed before dinner. You saw them make what appeared to be a heartfelt profession of faith. You, you were there witnessing or even performing their baptism, and yet their life seems just as distant from Jesus as that of somebody who never believed in the first place. Where's the fruit? And I know that sometimes people go to bed asking themselves this question, did I fail as a parent? I want to give you a really soft answer to that this morning, yes, because we all do. We are all sinners none of us by works of the law, none of us by all of the tools that we've been given as Christian moms and dad doing absolutely everything that we can possibly do to raise our kids in faith, to know and to follow Jesus, have done it error free. Scripture's clear on both sides. We just make mistakes. There's not a parent in the room who hasn't. And I say that to us as a church who's passionate about the next generation, who just spent an insane amount of money taking a whole bunch of them to the beach to get them away from real life for a week so that we can focus in on what God's Word says. Like we are a church that's passionate about the the faith of the next generation and our responsibility as image bearers of the Lord Jesus Christ to take that faith to the next generation. And have we as Rolling Hills Community Church in some way, shape, or form failed the next generation? You bet we have. Because we're human and because we're sinners and we are absolutely all full of error. But make no mistake, the word of the Lord has never, will never fail. God's word never fails, and what we can trust, oh, book of Proverbs, when are you going to come true that if we train up our children in the way that they should go, when they get old, they're, retu- they're not going to depart from it. Like, like how old, Lord, because some of us are still waiting and waiting and waiting, and mercy, it just seems like you're tearing and tearing and tearing. We can sit back every night and go to bed easy, that although we mess up, the word of the Lord that we planted in our kids will not. It won't. Then he explains, for not all who descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they Abraham's children. He's explained it once before. He's getting pretty verbatim right now that not everybody who is ethnically Israel is spiritually Israel. On the contrary, it says it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. The promise that God made to Abraham was for a specific group of people who had adhered and understood the promise. And this is how it was stated in verse 9. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac, yet before the twins were born or had done any anything good or bad. Like we don't even have time to do the good or bad. It's God's grace that stands in order that his purpose in election might stand. It's not by works, but by him who calls. It's always been God's work. That's how she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. And we don't need to get confused about the word hate in this moment. It just sounds so harsh in this moment. If you go back to the original Greek, the word love means love, and the word hate means hate. But if you tie that to all of the other moments that it was used, like Jesus saying, hey, if anybody wants to follow me, you got to hate their mother, brother, and sisters. No, he didn't want us to hate our families. He just wanted to love them less than we love him. It's... It's not this hatred for Esau, it's, it's less love. It's the promise came to us through Jacob. That's how we would all get Jesus. It's the difference between acceptance and rejection, just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He might as well have just told us because I said so. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. And that's a balm to us us as parents and us as people. Because we see a kid who's prodigal or a neighbor who's far off, and we ought to be reminded, I don't see any effort on their part. That's okay. It's not because of the effort that's going to be on their part, it's because of the mercy of God. It is only by grace that anybody has a place. It's only by grace that anybody has a place. A lady once asked Charles Spurgeon, how can Scripture say that God hated Esau? And Spurgeon looked at her and said, I am much more preoccupied with how in the world Scripture could say that God loved Jacob. Sometimes we're so eat up with who God hates in the world that we forget to look in the mirror and be so shocked that God could ever love Esau. Not because we deserve it, but because of his grace, he has extended it. We get to this point where we think that God's like a kid on a playground going, Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo, catch a tiger by. Like, who in the world would want to catch a tiger by their toe? It's so weird. I don't even know if tigers have toes, and I would be terrified. Like, it doesn't make no sense. Like, Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo, catch a tiger by his toe. My mama told me to pick the. Vet. Like, this make, that makes no sense. I have no idea. While God is not up there going, heaven, hell, heaven, hell, Mm, I don't know, let me start over, eeny, meeny, miny, like it's not, no, but just because he doesn't explain to us in full detail, just because there's not a complete and total disclosure of what his mind is doesn't mean that there's not an orderly systematic way that his mind processes information. One of our greatest mistakes is assuming that our limits are God's limits. Or assuming that he has to operate according to our wisdom. Assuming that he's somehow like us. No, he is sovereign over us. It says in Acts chapter 15, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved just as They are, it's not by the effort that we bring, but by the son that he gave. Romans 9 15, he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'm gonna have mercy on, and I'll have compassion on whom I'm gonna have compassion on. Jesus told a story about day laborers coming in, and some of them came in really early in the morning and worked all day and he gave them a fair wage. Some of them came in later afternoon and and worked really hard and he gave them the exact same wage, and those people were so irate, the ones who had been there longer. Why in the world the landowner gave the other people who had been there less just as much money? He's like, isn't it mine to give? Sometimes we look at the great God of this universe and we're like, how can you love people like that? How can you allow those people to live like they live? When are you finally going to punish them for their sin? Like, what? Isn't mercy his to give? Isn't compassion his to bestow? Verse 21, does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay, some for special purposes and some for... Like, doesn't he have the right? The place where we get into the most trouble in these passages of Scripture is whenever we have to reckon with the word wrath. It says in verse 22, what if God, although choosing... (laughs) What if God, although choosing to show his wrath And make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, who he also called, not only from the Jews, but also of the Gentiles. In response to the idea of God's wrath, some people just refuse to believe that it exists. Some people believe that it exists, but they can't get over their questions, and some people believe that it exists, and it's their reason for totally rejecting Almighty God. It's that passage of Scripture that we can't take it out, but we also can't take it only. You know that Thomas Jefferson was famous for taking the Bible and, 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 and grabbing a pair of scissors and cutting out the pieces that he wanted to stay and pasting them into an eliminating passages of scripture that he didn't want to deal with. We can't take this out. But we also can't take this only. It has to be couched in the overall narrative of Scripture. That's a loving God who gave his son Jesus to people who did not deserve him so that they might be saved by him. Whenever we're at a crossroads that's confusing about salvation, some people try to pull the lever and say, okay, this is my stop, i got to get off. I'm this many years old and I've never been a person who was on a bus and had to pull that lever. I've always wanted to. Have you ever done that? Don't you think it'd be fun, like, pull the lever and get off? I've just waited until whatever the next stop was. I think that would be so fun, but this concept of God's choosing, this, this concept of God's wrath, that's, that's going to be a part of what we do over the next three weeks, and a part of what we do as we conclude this work in Romans. is It's the point of scripture where a lot of people pull the lever and say, okay, I'm getting off this bus. I can't grapple with that anymore, and because God has not provided me with an answer that I like, I'm going to cut out anything that does not make sense. Couched in its proper context, what we have to understand is that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Otherwise, we fall. We fall. If you skip down to verse 30, it says, well, what, what, what shall we say then? What's our response? that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that's by faith, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal? Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, and we'll get to a latter part of Romans where it reminds us that you and I are not allowed to be the stumbling block. Jesus, this gift of grace, this concept of sin, is trouble enough on its own. It's challenging enough on its own. We don't need to get in the way. It's said in the book of Acts when they're sitting at a Jerusalem council, it's my judgment that we shouldn't make it harder for these people to come to faith. You and I should not make it harder for people to come to faith. The father didn't stand on the top of a hill with a whole laundry list of conditions. Yes, you can come home, but you're going to do this and this and this and this and this, and that's what the son expected. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'll just be like one of your hired hands. We want to give the list. And there's not a list. So what ultimately we land on is that we want to be a people who always know and never doubt where salvation is. It's grace and mercy. It's God's design in giving it, and he gets to set the rules by which it's applied may we always know where salvation is found in his grace and mercy and also may we always be a place where the broken go to find it a pastor in north carolina sharon it's either hod miller or hode miller i don't know how to pronounce her name i should go back and listen to one of her talks where she gives it but it's sharon sharon miller we'll just call her that She says, what was the father doing all that time with his son way far away, living life anyway? way that, like the father knew what was going on. What was he busy doing? Scolding, chasing, making a long list. Mm-mm. He was making his home someplace that one day the son would want to go back to we should make this place some place that prodigals want to be the word prodigal has a context of somebody that goes out and spends all their money on wild living but the root definition is just the word lavish we can definitely see that as depicted by the lifestyle of the son but i think the best way that we see the word prodigal is the lavish love of the father it was extravagant. We can go to scripture and we can see God's punishment poured out on sin in the wild way that his son died. And then we can look at the amazing love that we've been given and that while we were still way far off on the top of that hill, he ran to us. We want to make this place so eat up with grace and mercy That people want to come into it and stay in it and get eat up with us because it's good. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to be in this place, to tell you that we love you, and to tell you that we are shocked by the love that you've given us in Jesus. May we be a people who are so wild about that grace. That we can't help but be a people who give it. May the burden that we feel for lost people extend to all people so that they can know and discover how much you love them. Father, I pray a special prayer this morning for any mom or dad or grandma or grandpa in the room to whom Luke chapter 15 isn't figurative, it's their reality and they are hurting and they are longing for that son or daughter to come not just home to them but home to you I'll just humbly say God would you in your mercy for us and in your response to our prayers speed things up a bit cause life's hard and we need them to come home We see the damage that's being done and we desire for them to return. And yet God, in our humility, we'll pray, not our will, but yours be done. It's okay that you look at us, God, and say, my word doesn't fail. I've got this. I said so. So help us to be a people of faithful trust who only concern ourselves with with making home, with making here the very place that someone would turn. When they finally realize just how much they need you thank you for being a good father we love you jesus it's in your name that we pray today
0: amen thank you for listening to the rolling hills sermon podcast share this episode with friends and family in your life make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon if you are interested in learning more about rolling hills download our rolling hills app follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.